Y'all, I am very sure I have never begun a sermon like that. But y'all, we're in a sermon series about what it means to be community, church community. Paul and his letter to the church in Corinth is our guide. So y'all, there is something toxic in the air these days. People are trying to voice their opinions, their values, their passions, and sometimes along the way they are spewing more toxins into the air. There is anxiety in our systems. And this anxiety is breeding more anxiety. So those of us gathered here this day have made a conscious decision to press pause and gather in this place of sanctuary to take a deep breath. So do it right now in through your nose, out through your mouth. Some of you need about five to ten more of those cleansing breaths. We've come here to sing songs and pray some prayers, to sit in silence, to confess, to be strengthened by a sense that we are not alone, to be reminded that God is with us and we have each other. And if we can't figure out how to do this, if we can't figure out how to be this, and how in the world can we expect our city, our state, our country, or our world to do it? We have been set apart to do it. The church in Corinth was set apart to do it. The church in Charlotte, this church in Charlotte, has been set apart to do it. Social media is a great gift of connectedness and virtual community. It is also tearing us apart. We are losing our ability to disagree without being disparaging. Russ is currently a guest commentary opinion writer for two news outlets. One is Baptist News Global. It's global. The other is our hometown newspaper, The Clinton Chronicle. Not so global. It's in South Carolina, it's little. It is the farthest thing from global I've ever known. Russ wrote a column last week for The Chronicle and he had me read it before he sent it to the editor, who is of course a friend of ours from childhood. I suggested that Russ write about how cute puppies are. <laughs> he went another direction. <laughs> if you want to read it online you know, next week, it's about the wall. It's not about puppies. 
He asked me to read it to make sure he wasn't being disparaging toward anyone. He was fine with people disagreeing with him. Matter of fact, I wrote him back. You realize 98 to 99% of the readers of this are going to radically disagree with you. Our family, practically 100%. They all live there. Poor them. (laughs) He writes from afar and the family's left there to be related to us. He was fine with people disagreeing with him, but he wanted to make sure he wasn't being disparaging toward the people that may disagree. It's easy to trip on that. The problem is we've lost the art of disagreeing and staying in community. It is an art, not a science. God, I wish it were a science. It is difficult to be called to preach the gospel, which is simply good news, in a day when it's hard to find any good news, certainly not in the headlines. It's difficult to pastor a people who are divided and wounded and afraid and anxious. Does somebody have a tissue? get back. It's difficult to pastor a people who are divided and wounded and afraid and anxious, but it's what we've been called to do, to preach and to pastor. I'm going to begin this sermon with a few suggestions. Number one, if you are feeling overwhelmed, despairing, and heavy and burdened, I suggest you step away from the news, and I suggest you take a break from social media. I didn't say forever. I didn't say stick your head in the sand and become uninformed. I said step back, take a break. We learn from watching the life and ministry of Jesus of his own need to pull away and search for quiet. It never lasted long certainly never long enough for him. The issues of the day always pulled him back in, but he did take short breaks from the chaos to regroup. He took breaks from the chaos, not from community. Number two, go to lunch with someone that you love that has differing ideas from you. And talk and listen and pick up the tab. Ask that person to help you understand from their perspective. Try to see from their vantage and help them to try and see from yours. It is highly likely you will not leave the table in agreement. That is not the point of the exercise. But maybe you will understand each other better. And maybe the anger will lessen. And maybe hope 
will be born. And maybe you will see a different way together than either one of you could see by yourselves. Number three, censor every word you say and write and post and share by asking yourself, is this disparaging about another human being? And then reword it until it comes out right. That does not mean stop speaking your truth. We need to be free to state our opinions and hold fast to our values. But, we, but can we do that in a way that does not tear down another person? Let me suggest I statements as opposed to you statements. I, this is what I believe. This is my opinion, and this is why it's my opinion. This is why I marched. Tell the truth as you understand it. Be open to change. Be kind. This, my friends, is the hard work of gospel living. It will take our undivided attention. It will take a commitment to faithful living. It will take love, which is always, always, always the right answer at church. I don't mean to be overly dramatic today, <laughs> but I feel a heaviness that I... I really can't say I have felt since the Sunday I climbed into the pulpit after 9-11. And this is almost heavier because I couldn't do anything about 9-11. But I like to think I can do something about this. Let us all pray I don't go off manuscript very much today because I really stayed up very late choosing my words very carefully. So we turn to today. That's all the suggestions, by the way. I am now making a shift. We turn to today's text to the church in Corinth for yet another community-building lesson, and Paul shoots it to us straight. The life we are called to live in community looks like foolishness to the world. The church is called to be different, set apart, unlike anything else. And you've just got to love Paul's brutal honesty. Russ read it in the lovely way. Let me read it like it's written. That was not a slam on you. You just didn't emphasize this part enough. <laughs> Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not... Many of you are wise by human standards. Not many powerful, not, well, y'all aren't very noble. <laughs> but God chose what is foolish, y'all, in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak, that's y'all, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised and rejected. That's y'all. This is simply put, not normal. 
This is a scandal to be a foolish church. We are called to be different. So just for these few moments, can we leave out there, out there, And can we huddle up for just a minute and figure out who we are supposed to be? Can we huddle up and get a game plan in place for how we might take what seems foolish to the world, seeking strength and power and might, and bring goodness and justice and mercy. Can we huddle up here last night at 1.30? Bennett was helping me write this sermon, I kid you not. <laughs> he, Russ had long gone to bed, was no help. By this point, Bennett's still up, and I'm really talk, I'm typing and talking it out with him. How does that sound, Bennett? Does that offend anybody when I say that? And he said, Mom, you need to do what you do. You know, do that little, add a little sauce to it. (laughs) Like, get them to do something that they'll really remember. I mean, I would really love to really, like, literally have y'all all all move from your seat and come up here and let's huddle it up together. I'm not going to do it, but just picture that. Thank Bennett for the sauce. I want us to huddle up and figure out the church's response, the church's response, the, this church's response to issues that matter. I'll start with education for at-risk students because we've already huddled up about that a little bit. I'm not sure what all the school board is working on, but I can list off the many things that our church is working on for Sedgefield Elementary School, reading and math and food, just to name a few. It's a small dent to a huge problem, but we are doing something which is way better than doing nothing. I could remind us that we have already huddled up around issues of homelessness And we're putting in some work by putting band-aids on some oozing places, by just giving a warm and safe night's sleep last night to ten guests. And in addition to just putting band-aids on, which is really what that was, important. Band-aids are important. But in addition to that, we are involved in assisting with systemic change with programs like Charlotte Family Housing, helping families to get jobs and child care and permanent housing. So good for us. We've huddled some. We will not end homelessness, but we are doing something which is better than doing nothing. I'm not sure what city council's doing or the county commissioners are doing about homelessness, but I can at least tell you what this church is involved in trying to do our part in making a difference. But friends, or as I started the sermon, y'all, there's so much more about which we have to huddle. Leave the news outside for just a minute. Leave social media outside for just a minute. Dare I say it, leave politics outside for a minute and let us ask ourselves, 
If we have been called to be set apart to live in community that would be called foolish and crazy and idealistic and dreamers by all the people who are out there, what would we tackle next? I'll pick a random topic. Oh, I don't know. How about immigration and refugees? You see what I did there? I didn't leave it completely out there, did I? Oh, yesterday our family started with an early morning church basketball game at Avondale we went to watch. That segued into a late morning high school baseball scrimmage that led to a two-hour drive for a college baseball scrimmage that got us home just in time to attend a fundraiser for impoverished students at our home high school. So I took that needed break from the news and social media for 12 whole hours, only to start scrolling through it all at about 11 p.m. last night. That's how the refugees and immigrants jumped into my sermon. The Bible actually has a lot to say about this topic. And I'm shocked when I hear famous preachers say otherwise. So can we huddle up a bit and not talk about what we think they should do? But talk about what we think we should do? as a foolish church for immigrants and refugees. It is a dangerous business to start quoting scripture. <laughs> the Lord your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who doesn't play favorites and doesn't take bribes. God enacts justice for orphans and widows. God loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means you must also love immigrants because you were immigrants in Egypt. It's from Deuteronomy. You must not oppress foreigners. You know what it's like to be a foreigner, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. From Exodus. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God from Leviticus. You can imagine I could go on and on. And it's dangerous because I know somebody can throw back at me anytime women keep silent in the church. So it's dangerous scandalous territory to do this. But when you read a message that really starts at the beginning and is filled throughout to the end and it meshes with who you understand God to be, you have to take heart. Since I believe the Bible is very, very clear about how people should welcome the foreigner, Y'all, what should we do as a church? What should we do? We cannot have Mecklenburg Ministries on our campus and interfaith 
organization, immigrants, Muslim, many of them. We cannot have a Jew sitting at our organ and not be concerned for the threats that are happening at the Jewish Community Center, Shalom Park in Charlotte. What are we going to do? Do we try and develop a, an English as a second language program to help people navigate our country better? We have a ready pool of people in need at Sedgefield. Do we take in a refugee family and commit our lives to theirs? Hand over the key to our youth building that has a washer and dryer and endless hot water, a refrigerator, a stove, cots, and say, we will be sanctuary for you. Do we live as a church with a banner that reads, radical hospitality found here? It will have political overtones if we do something like this in our current environment. But I'm not asking what the government should do. I'm asking what we should do. Or maybe we need to huddle our foolish church about mass incarceration of young black men. Or maybe we need to huddle our foolish church about human sex trafficking. The issues are endless. And we're just one little community of faith. But I believe we can make a difference if we decide to make a difference. This church has been marching either for or against something since just about the very beginning of this church's history. Our little march a few weeks ago, y'all been doing that forever. This church has been on the cutting edge of history for almost its whole 66 years of existence. This church has given voice to those who have been silenced. This church has stuck its neck out for women, for blacks, for gays. It was not always easy. There were tensions all along the way. And if you tell me there weren't, I will not believe you. Some folks left. But this church has most often not wavered in its commitment to the foolish ways of God as exemplified in the life and way of Jesus. Please don't let us stop now because some have been ugly to each other on social media. Please don't let us stop now. I suggest... We follow the headlines of the news, and then we ask ourselves, what can Park Road Baptist Church do to make this better, to make this right, 
to bring about justice. It will be a scandal if we choose to be the foolish followers we are called to be. A scandal, I tell you. May it be so. Amen.